Well, if you don't know where New Zealand is tonight, that's all right. Nobody else does either in the world. As I travel around and I tell people we're missionaries to New Zealand, I get a lot of very polite smiles and a lot of very vacant eyes looking at me because they couldn't find New Zealand if their life depended on, on it. So tonight, if you know where New Zealand is, would you raise your hand? Well, hallelujah. Praise the Lord for the commonwealth. Y'all know where New Zealand is? There's been many of services I've done that. Maybe one or two people have lifted their hands. For those of you who don't know where we're at in the world, I can help you find us. All you got to do is get a globe, turn it upside down, and that's where we're at. We're at the bottom of the world. If you can find Australia, we are just 500 miles southeast of Australia. Two little islands there, very creatively called the North Island and the South Island. All the way at the bottom of the world, a place that many people consider to be insignificant. In fact, as I look at maps and globes, I find that Oftentimes, we're just left off altogether, too small to be bothered with down there at the bottom of the world. But I'm thankful that we're not too small for the Lord, that God knows where we're at, and God's doing a great work in the nation of New Zealand. God's doing big things in small places. Amen. God's doing great things there, and I want to show it to you tonight. I, uh, I have a habit. I've got the gift of gab, and I'm going to try to rein that in tonight. And so instead of telling you all about it, I want to show you, New Zealand, what God's been doing in that wonderful nation. So if you would, just direct your attention to these screens tonight. I want to show you what God's doing in the land of New Zealand. New Zealand is an island nation in the South Pacific. It is approximately 990 miles long and only 250 miles across at its widest point. Though it is a small nation, it is known for its incredible beauty. It is home to nearly 27 million sheep. The Southern Alps cross the South Island. There is also a giant redwood forest and some of the most spectacular scenery in the world. It is also a modern and developed nation. The largest city, Auckland, which is home to one and a half million people, is the most diverse city per capita in the world. There are more than five million people that call this beautiful nation home. And yet, 48.6% claim no religion. Many others have turned to various religions as they search for hope in this world. But God is at work in that nation. It has been prophesied that there would be fire in the nation of New Zealand, and we are seeing that come to pass already. In the last two years alone, it has been reported that 39 people have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and 75 people have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Children are responding to this gospel message. Adults are responding. Colombian refugees, Filipinos, and nearly every people group in the nation of New Zealand is represented in our churches. 
Through much prayer and labor, the church is growing and moving forward by the power of God. We have a two-pronged strategy to win this nation to the Lord. The first step is through our Bible school. We challenged our students to step out and begin a church. One couple did and God blessed them immediately. Today, there is a Hindi-speaking church in Auckland with 30 people meeting every service to worship the Lord. The second step is to not only tell others to do it, but to actively involve ourselves in the planting of new churches. God has opened a door for us to work in the city of Toronga. It began as a small Bible study group, but it has by prayer and the grace of God grown to about 30 people meeting in this city. God is giving us revival throughout the nation of New Zealand. There is an open door before us for revival. Will you help us step through that door? Amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord this evening? Amen. There is an open door for revival in that land. God is doing a great work in that nation, and this is not a new thing. This is not something that God has just decided to do recently, but this has been in the mind of God, the plans of God since the days of Scripture. In fact, you've read about the open door that God set before us if you've ever read the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. This is normally the part that my children get to be involved in, but uh, they've snuck off to VBS, so I'm going to try to remember this verse off the top of my head without my children here. But Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And we have often preached that verse and that last part of it, the uttermost part, to mean everywhere, and I think that's fine. That's good theology. We ought to preach the gospel everywhere. But if you'd allow me tonight, I'm going to take it in its most strictest sense. It means to the farthest place. That little word uttermost means as far as possible. In Acts chapter 1, they're standing in Jerusalem when Jesus makes this promise to them. And he tells them, I'm going to give you power to take the gospel literally as far from here as possible. And there is a city that is farther away from Jerusalem than any other place in the world. It is the geographical fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. And it's a place that you've seen on these screens tonight. It's the city of Toronga, New Zealand. It's farther from Jerusalem than anywhere else in the world in terms of Acts 1 and 8. It is the uttermost part of the earth. But I'm thankful that God is keeping His word and God is keeping His promises. Amen. And the gospel is being preached in the uttermost part of the earth. Men and women are being baptized in Jesus' name in the city of Torong and around that nation. I want to encourage you tonight. The church is still moving forward in 2022. The church is not dying. The church is not weak. The church is not just holding on to the rapture, but the church is still powerful by the Holy Ghost working in us and through us. And if the devil could stop us, he would, but the Lord made us promises, and we're going to go on until the Lord comes. Amen? Are you thankful to be a part of a living church, a powerful church? Amen. 
We're seeing God work around that nation. Time would fail me tonight to tell you all of the stories and to labor on each and every individual city and things that God is doing in Toronga and around the, the nation of New Zealand. But if you allow me, we'll just allow it to suffice us to say tonight that God has done such a work in these past couple years that we have not seen the likes of it in recent history in the nation of New Zealand. Today I can stand before you and tell you that right now we have more Bible school students enrolled in our Bible school than at any other point in the history of New Zealand. And for the first time, our Bible school students are stepping out with the blessings of their pastors and they are preaching the gospel in new languages that have never been preached before in the nation of New Zealand. Churches are being planted by Bible school students and that has never happened. In the nation of New Zealand, we are seeing churches planted at a faster rate than ever before. In the last five years, four new churches have been planted. And that is miraculous because we began five years ago with only eight churches. And today we have 12 churches as God has opened the door. It's harvest time in New Zealand. I can stand before you today and tell you that we are now preaching the gospel in more languages and in more cities than we rejoice with that. But I must also confess to you that this video that you've just watched is incorrect. We put this video together 10 months ago and it's out of date. Because in the last seven months, we have baptized more people in Jesus' name than in the last two years combined nearly as God has opened doors for us. We have teams of people going to cities where there is no church right now, but they're going in and teaching Bible studies and baptizing people in Jesus' name. And I believe that God is going to raise up churches in those cities. This is the hour for harvest in that land. But this is just the beginning. Joshua and Caleb came back from the promised land. They said, these are but grapes. This is just a little bit. This is just a portion of what God is doing but over the river where God is taking us, there is still more. And I can tell you what I've told you tonight. These are but grapes. This is just the beginning. This is not the fulfillment or the totality of where God is taking us. But I believe that we are standing at the threshold in the Spirit. And God is about to lead us through a door of revival. And we are going to see things that we have never seen before. We rejoice with the reports. But I can tell you that right now, on this side of the door, there is no UPC church in our capital city. Our capital city has no UPC church in its entirety preaching this precious gospel message. But I believe where God is taking us through this door of revival, there's going to be a church in our capital city. Today, there are only two works on the entire South Island, but I believe through the door where God is taking us, there will be dozens and dozens of churches on the South Island. Today, our largest people group is the most underrepresented in our churches, but through this door of revival where God is taking us, we will see them come by the hundreds and by the thousands being brought in by the power of God. This is where God is taking us. Today, on this side of the door, not one of our churches has their own building. Of 12 works, every single one of them rents a facility. They rent community centers and other churches and school gymnasiums and so on. But I believe through the door where God is taking us, we're going to have a church building and property in that land. I want to see this happen. It's my vision for this to take place in that nation because God has kept His word. 
He's given us power to preach the gospel in the uttermost part of the earth. And now I kind of just want to send a little message to the devil that we're not just passing through. We're not just here for a little while, but we plan on putting down roots and being permanent until the Lord comes. And so it's our vision in New Zealand to have property, a place that we can have a Bible school, a church building that will house a local congregation and offices for the superintendent and so on. These are the things that we want to see happen. Now, New Zealand's not a third world country. I I can't build a building for $1,000, unfortunately. It's probably a lot like here in Canada. But we keep casting the vision and God has opened doors and put the burden on the churches that we have been to. And already we have seen people give sacrificially. And Pastor mentioned just uh, last week at Miller Lake Camp that they gave just uh, more than we could have ever imagined. And yet there is still more to do. And I would ask you tonight, and Pastor has given me liberty to do this. In the remainder of this service, I would ask that you just pray and ask that God would talk to you. And then you go talk to your pastor after church and And see what you can give to be a part of this. Because we want to see this take place in the nation of New Zealand. I believe it's going to happen. And uh, we've set this out there for churches. That for every church, for every individual that will give $5,000 or more. When we have this property. Whenever it is. Whenever God opens that door and makes it possible. We're going to have a plaque somewhere in that building. With every giver of $5,000 or more. Because we want every soul And every saint that walks into that building that sees that plaque to know this didn't just come about, but somebody cared enough about souls. Somebody loved this gospel message enough to give sacrificially. And I believe that's going to take place in the nation of New Zealand. But beyond just your finances, and I thank you for partnering, that's made possible because you give to this congregation, to this church. And I thank you for considering this building project. But there's something more that needs to be done. Revival is never going to take place just by vision. And we need vision, we've got vision, but revival's not coming by vision alone. I believe that we've got to set our hand to the plow, but revival's not coming just by hard work. Revival will only take place in the nation of New Zealand when we begin to pray in the name of Jesus. I believe that that is what is going to tear down high places, that's what's going to set captives free, and that's what's going to give us favor wherever we walk. And so I brought with me tonight the flag of the nation of New Zealand, this flag is representative of these people, of this land that we feel called to. And Pastor, if I could trouble you, would you mind joining me on the platform tonight? This flag we brought with us because I can't be in New Zealand right now. Please pray. Our visa uh, application's in the works, and we need God to to bring that to pass. But tonight, I, I can't be there. I can't preach in those churches, and I can't be with those people. So when I can't be with them, I... I pray over the flag and the nation that it represents and the people that it's symbolic of. And I'd ask you tonight to be prayer partners with me. Would you stand across this sanctuary tonight? Pastor's going to lead us in prayer if I can ask him to do so. He's going to lay hands upon this flag and he's going to pray. And as he does so, I'm asking you to just stretch forth your hand to this flag and, and ask that God would work and move in that nation. Would you do this? Would you pray for that nation like you wish someone would pray for your nation, that God would work there as well as here? Amen. Pastor, would you lead us in prayer tonight? Father, I thank you today for your promise. God, they are yea and amen. And we stand here in this room tonight. And God, we echo the words that have already been spoken. God, that in the last days, saith God, will pour, you will pour out your spirit upon all flesh. God, Brother Borders, he's already challenged us and told us about diversity. And God talked about the many nations represented in this nation. 
And God, today we are asking that you would allow the church in New Zealand to be a beachhead. Let it be a lighthouse. God, I pray that it would be a beacon that would shine into the midst of darkness. Father, we are asking today that you would allow this couple and their vision and their desire to see your kingdom advance in that region. God, I pray that you would let anointing rest. God, we are praying. God, for every person that has come alongside and God has gathered along with the burden to God to pour out your promise and your word. God, your anointing and your spirit in this region. God, I pray that they would find Aaron and hers that would come alongside them to lift their arms. Father, we're praying, Jesus, that you would let anointing rest on them. But God, let burden rest on people until, God, we see the harvest. God, yield until, Father, the sickle is thrust in and we see, God, the wheat harvested. It's already white under harvest in this end of the end times. Father, we're praying, Jesus, let great end time revival occur. God, I pray for speedy resolution to visa issues. And God, we pray that you would open every door. God, let files come in God across deaths that they need to come across. And God, every person that this flag represents, God, I pray that there would already be something begin to occur. God, let there be an opening. Let there be a vision. Let there be a hunger. God, let chains begin to fall. I feel your anointing right now, Jesus. I lift, God, I lift this nation to you. God, we lift the church that's already on site, at work. God, I pray that you would continue. God, we know that they've already seen, God, more baptisms in this last season than they have in the last few years. But we're asking for more, God. Our hunger and our cry is for more. God, more harvest, more revival, more souls, God, more baptisms more outpouring God we're praying for it in your powerful and in your precious name in Jesus name we ask it in Jesus name we pray I feel a little echo in the room right now there's there's just something moving would you lift both hands and that was kind of me leading in prayer for a moment but would you just kind of let that prayer lift your spirit come on lift your voice hallelujah Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's power when we call upon the name of Jesus. There's no devil in hell that can stand against the prayers of the saints of God. Amen. Amen. I believe that God is working even now. And I believe that as you pray for that nation, God's going to bring it back to this community. And God's going to give harvest and revival in your homes and in this land. Amen. I believe it. I believe it in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. This is a praying church. What a wonderful presence of God we feel tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, as we prayed it tonight, let it come to pass. Strengthen the hands of your people tonight, God. 
come alongside your people right now, Lord. Mm. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't it wonderful just be in the presence of the Lord? If you have your Bibles tonight, while we're in this wonderful atmosphere of faith, I'm not going to be long tonight, but I do want to just give us a word that I hope will encourage us before we leave this evening. So if you have your Bibles, would you remain standing with me just in honor of the reading of the word? We're turning tonight to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading tonight in verse number 1, and as you're finding that in your Bibles or directing your attention to the screen, I... You just want to pause and give honor tonight to your pastor. What a wonderful man of God. And I thank you, Pastor, for allowing us to be here tonight on a Friday night. I don't know what your normal schedule is, but thank you for giving us a Friday night to share our burden with this wonderful church. I am so thankful uh, not only for uh, Pastor Jack Lehman, but also for Brother Woodward and the ministry that they have done in this organization and around the world. And I'm thankful for this wonderful church. As I travel, and especially when I'm in New Zealand, uh, I'm always, I'm looking for ways to feed myself. So a lot of times I'm looking for preaching, and the only way I can find that, especially when we're in New Zealand, just a small work, there's not a lot of conferences and, and things that happen all the way at the bottom of the world. I, Boy, YouTube can really be a mess, but it can also be a blessing sometimes. And I go to YouTube and I put in, Pentecostal preaching, UPC preaching, anything I can find, and, and I begin to listen to the Word, and there's been half a dozen, a dozen occasions that as I have clicked on a particular preacher, I've seen that it's come from this church, and uh, I've seen men of God minister, and my soul's been fed from this church and in this place, and I want to thank you tonight. Thank you because you make all of that available and the prayers and the ministry of this church. You are making impacts in places that maybe you did not realize you were making an impact. All, all the way across the world, you fed my soul by putting your services online. I thank you and I give you honor for that. I, I'm in a place where I've received much strength and I, uh, I so appreciate this church tonight. Amen. If, you, if you're there in the book of Esther, would you say Amen. It says, Mordecai perceived all that was done. That means that he had heard about the command that uh, all the Jews were going to be slaughtered. And so Mordecai rent his clothes, and he put on sackcloth with ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city. And he cried with a loud and a bitter cry, and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, and then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him. She sent a fresh garment to him to remove his mourning apparel. And I draw your attention to those final five words of verse number four. But he received it not. For the next just few minutes tonight, I hope to encourage someone in the Holy Ghost. I want to minister to you from this subject. Take the garment. Amen. Take 
the garment. I know we just spent some time praying, but I always feel better when we pray over the Word. So would you one more time lift your voice and ask that God would talk to us tonight from His Word. Dear Father, we thank You that You're in this house. You've been here since before service. And God, as we have worshipped and praised and prayed, God, we have felt Your power moving ever stronger. Now, God, as we come to Your Word, I'm asking You for anointing tonight. God, I'm just a man. Help me, Lord, that I would not walk in the flesh but in the Spirit. Anoint this congregation, Lord, that they would not hear a man, but they would hear the Word of the Lord. Let them be encouraged by it. Let him be strengthened by it, and we give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said amen. Amen. May God bless you tonight. You may be seated. It is so good to see the Cisco's here tonight. What wonderful missionaries and people of God. And I think I've told Brother Cisco this before, but it was Brother Cisco years ago when I was in Texas, before God ever put missions on my heart that came to our church in Texas, and he was sharing his burden, and he stood before our congregation. I can still hear him. I can still hear him standing in front of that congregation saying, I've got to get back to Ghana. And he said it with such conviction that about on the third or fourth row right there, I looked up at that man, and I felt sorry for you, Brother Cisco. I said, what has God done to that man that he would want to go to Ghana and say it with such conviction? And then a Within the year, God had done to me what he had done to you. Amen. So it's so good to see you, brother and sister Cisco. God bless you tonight. Amen. The story of Esther is well known amongst the church, and we're going to trod the path yet one more time tonight. If you will allow me, as you will recall, it's the story of a young girl who's living in captivity. She's already lost her parents. And now she's being raised by her elder cousin, Mordecai. The story goes that the king has done a foolish thing. He's had a drunken party and fired the queen. Neither one of those things seems like good ideas, and the king did them both in one night. And now he's got to find a new queen. So he sends out a cattle call, if you will. That's a, now that I say it out loud, that's a really bad way to say it. I hope you all edit this live stream. He calls for many women to come and he begins to figure out which one he wants to have as his next queen. And at this point, Esther, it, it's a low point in her life. I mean, really, if anybody's got an opportunity to complain, it's Esther. Esther don't have just small things. She's not just complaining about hangnails and bad hair days. She's, she's got real problems. She's had real strife in her life. Her, her parents have passed. She's living in captivity in a foreign land. She's changed her name to hide her Jewish roots. She's now been taken by the king and the Bible lets us know that even if she's not picked, she can never leave again. She is forever the property of the king stuck within the confines of the palace. At this point, life looks about as bad as it can get for this young woman. It looks as though everything has gotten just progressively Worse, from moment to moment, it just builds one on top of the other. And then all of a sudden, the story turns on a dime when she is indeed selected to be the queen. Now, if you've got to be in the palace, if you've got to be there, you might as well have a little power. If you're going to be uh, 
So on the, the property of the king, you might as well have a little authority somewhere along the way and wear a crown. So things are starting to look up. And just at the moment where things get a little bit better, for the first time in her story that we read of, we have an opportunity to rejoice. We have a moment to celebrate with this young woman. And it seems almost as soon as this goodness comes into her life, it goes right back to being bad. Haman steps onto the scene nursing a 500-year grudge, and he de decides, I'm going to wipe out the Jews. I'm going to do everything I can to destroy them, to wipe their memory from the face of the earth. And all of a sudden, Esther is plunged right back into the valley from which she came. She had lived this miserable and terrible existence. Now she climbs to the mountain, and almost as soon as she gets to the peak, she's plunged right back down. And as I read that story and I began to consider and to ponder, I began to think that oftentimes in our walk through life, I feel a little bit like that. That there's low moments and then there's some high moments. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's times in our lives where it seems the valley's a little longer than the mountaintop. Now, in truth, it's probably not the case. If we were really objective, we would say that's not true, but we're not really objective most of the time. We're emotional beings. We're creatures of feeling and of passion. And so there's times in our mind that seems like I spend a lot more time in the valley than I do on the mountain. There's times that I feel like I spend a lot more time fighting battles than I do shouting over victory. I spend a lot more time in the prayer line saying, God, help me with this, than I do in the testimony line saying, God brought me through that. And there's times, there's moments where it seems as though we are almost living from crisis to crisis. No sooner do we get the victory over one thing than we move on to the next. No sooner do we get our eyes dried of tears and they start pouring out again. No sooner do I get one giant slain than a new giant comes with a new sword intent on destroying us. And if we are not careful in this day and hour that we live in, we can become so depressed and so despondent and so saddled with fear, feeling as though all I do is walk from crisis to crisis, from calamity to calamity. But I want to encourage you tonight in the Lord, that's not the will of God concerning you. That's not the will of God for the people of God. God never intended for me to go from crisis to crisis. He never intended for me to go from fear to fear, from one despondency to the next. But Paul writes to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. And he says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. It was not from God, all of these fears that I have, all of this worry and anxiety that I carry. And there's plenty of places to find it in the world as we look at everything that's going on in the world around us. But God looks down upon his people and says, hey, I didn't give you fear. I gave you power. I gave you love. And I gave you a sound mind. Paul will write on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16 and he tells us what is the will of God. It's not only not the will of God that we walk in fear and from crisis to crisis and from worry to worry. But this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing 
in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Can I tell you that it does not matter what's going on in the world around us. It does not matter what has even assaulted your mind or what has tried to rob you of your peace. It is the will of God for us who are full of the Holy Ghost and power to be able to rejoice no matter the situation. I may not be able to rejoice about the situation, but I can rejoice in the midst of it because I know that God is on on my side and God is going to walk with me through this season oh help us Holy Ghost because the devil would like to tear us down and to pull down our faith and our confidence and the Lord has come on this Friday night to remind you stand up square your shoulders the Lord is with you you can rejoice you can pray you can make it in this hour the Lord is not far from you. The Lord has not abandoned you. God has not walked away from you. God has not forgotten about you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over even in the valley, even amongst the enemies. I can rejoice in the goodness and the blessings of God. But what I love about the Lord is that God does not just command us to be happy and to rejoice, but He helps us with it. Growing up, my mother had a phrase, a little saying that she would say to me when I would get aggravated, which wasn't often because I was a perfect child. But she would look at me and she would say, Brandon, you can get glad in the same pants you got mad in. Did anybody else hear that growing up? Not a soul, just me. I thought that's the most ridiculous phrase in the world. And when I grow up, I'll never say that to my kids. Guess what I say to my kids? You can get glad in the same pants you got mad. And what the phrase basically means is ain't nothing changing. It's going to have to be you that chooses to get happy. Just get glad in the same pants you got mad in. Makes about as much sense, I guess, as that don't cut the mustard. I never did understand that one. But what I'm thankful about the Lord is God doesn't just look at me and say, come on now, get glad. Make up your mind, get happy. But God actually steps into my situation and he begins to encourage and begins to help the prophet Isaiah chapter 61 and verse number 3. He talks about the Lord and his ministry. The Lord will take this and, and uh, use it about himself in the New Testament. But he says, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The Lord said, I'm not just telling you it's a process of the mind. I'm not just telling you to make up in your mind to get happy or to get glad. But he says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to make a swap. I'm going to make a change. I will give to you joy. I will give to you beauty. I will give to you a garment of praise in exchange for what you've been carrying around. 
I will give you something and make this divine exchange happen between us. Now, as I read the book of Esther and I saw what was happening, I could not help but begin to draw some parallels as Esther sends to Mordecai, here's a new garment. But she says, you've got a garment of mourning. You've torn your garment. And I'm sending you something else. I'm wanting to trade you your tattered mourning garment for royal apparel that I've pulled from the palace. I want to give you something. I don't have time tonight to go through all the Bible about it. But let me tell you this. Mourning was always about sin and repentance and, and uh, all of these things. But I would remind this congregation tonight that at this point, nothing had happened. Not one Jew had died. Not one house was taken. Not one spoon stolen from the cupboard. Only that the enemy had spoken. Only that Haman had risen up and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to slaughter you. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to wipe you out. Not one thing had happened. And Mordecai begins to mourn. He begins to say, oh, the calamity. Oh, the trouble. The Bible says that he lifted his voice and he wept bitterly. Oh, oh, the bad things that have come upon us. Oh, the disaster. And Esther says, wait a minute. Nothing's happened. Here's a different garment. I'll give you a divine exchange here. Can I tell you that we are too quick often in our lives we are too quick to mourn when nothing has happened only that the enemy has spoken only that the enemy has put a fear in our mind only that the enemy has come against us like a flood and we begin to mourn as though it is a certain thing as though there is no other alternative but for the words of the enemy to come to pass and the Lord comes along and says I'm going to give you joy right now in the midst of this season and too often we look at the Lord and say I will not take that garment I'm so comfortable in my mourning I'm so used to my bitterness I'm so content in my complaining I won't take your joy Help us, Holy Ghost, but there's some saints of the Most High God that do better when they're in the valley than when they're on the mountain because they got more to talk about. I heard one saint of the Lord, one very brave pastor right before he preached, said, does anybody have a testimony? I said, oh, Lord, here we go. And some elder saint of the Lord stood up and she went on for about five minutes about everything that was wrong in her life. And her phrase was, you don't even know. Oh, you don't even know. Some of you know a little bit, but you don't know the whole story. Oh, the devil's been attacking me. Oh, you don't even know. And then just before she sat down, she said, but the Lord's helping me. And she sat down. I said, well, man, thanks for all the faith. But there's some people that are so happy in their hurt and in their calamity and in their pain and in their misery, they won't take what God is trying to give. And the Lord comes along and says, hey, I can give you joy because I'm greater than your enemy. Can I help you tonight? Your worry magnifies your enemy, but your praise magnifies your God. 
Your complaining honors the devil and the enemy, but your praise lifts up the Lord when you say, hey, I'll take that garment of worship. God's going to bring me out of this. God's going to take me through this. I don't know where the end of the valley is, but I know God's going to do a work. Oh, I hope to help. I hope to help someone tonight. The devil spoken and you felt fear and worry and felt like maybe God has abandoned you. God's not left you. He's holding out a garment even now. Take this garment and shout because God's still on the throne. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. I don't have time tonight to go throughout the entirety of Isaiah chapter, uh, uh, chapter 61 and, and what, what the Lord is talking about here. But I want to emphasize one point. He tells them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That word heaviness literally means smoking. Like embers that are dying. Where there used to be a fire, but now there's just heaviness. There used to be something that was living. There used to be something that was moving and alive. But now there's heaviness and there's just smoking embers like the end of a campfire. You're looking there and you can see a little glow. You can remember what used to be. You can still smell the smoke of what was there. But it's not there any longer. That's what heaviness does to our walk with God. That's what heaviness does to our praise. That's what heaviness does to our prayers. That's what heaviness does. That's what fear does. That's what mourning does. As all of a sudden I get my eyes fixed on everything that's wrong. I get my eyes fixed on everything that's come against my home. I get my mind start to working on, well, this could go wrong. They could do this, and they could hurt me in this way, and they could deny this, and they could work against me over here. And all of a sudden, there's no praise left. There's no victory left. There's just smoking embers of what used to be there. And the prophet comes along with the word of God in his mouth. And he says, hey, I can help with that. You have heaviness. You have smoking embers. You used to have a praise and a shout. But now I'm going to give you back the garment of praise. And I'm going to put back the life that was in you. I'm going to put back in the fire that was in you. And you're going to dance your way all the way through this. Dear friends, somewhere along the way, the church has got to rise up and say, I'll take that garment and I'll wear it. Too many saints of God that have denied the garment, content in their complaining, happy in their misery, and we will stay there magnifying the enemy until I finally put on this garment and say, wait a minute, I've got to get a new eyesight. I've got to get something fresh in my mind. I will lift up my eyes. I've got to get them off of Haman and look at the hills where my help's coming from. Oh, COVID couldn't stop the church because the church is wearing a garment that the Lord gave us. All 
the calamity in politics couldn't stop the church because the church knows who their God is. And can I tell you, whatever you're facing right now, whatever the devil's brought against you in your home right now, it cannot destroy you. Put on this garment and worship all the way through. Because if I don't, that heaviness that is upon me, those smoking embers will ultimately not just rob me of praise. It will rob me of my relationship with God. Mordecai sits outside the gates of the king's house. And the Bible says he cannot go in. He cannot see the king. Because none may enter with sackcloth on. He could not go in. And he could not talk to the king until he had changed his garment. The word of the Lord tells me that I must come into his gates with thanksgiving and with praise that I must come in not talking about my enemy not talking about everything that's wrong not talking about how I'm almost about to die but I'm going to walk in with praise saying God you know about my Hamans you know about my troubles you know about my distress and my calamity but I'm coming in with praise on my lips I'm coming into the presence of the king of kings and I lift my voice with the psalmist in Psalms chapter 30 and verse number 11. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Dear friend, we may look at the headlines and we may look at our homes and our families and the things that have assaulted us and say there is no more gladness, but there's a garment that the Lord's holding out. Take this garment tonight. There's a blessing for you in this house. There's a blessing that God wants to give you, but you've got to make up in your mind, I will take the garment. Would you stand with me across this house? I've run out of time tonight, but I want to encourage you in the Holy Ghost as pastor is coming and Musicians, if it's your custom to do so, would you, would you come? Hear me tonight, because I've walked with sackcloth for long periods of time in my life. And there's been times where I've noticed, not by, not by purpose and not by design, but there's been times that my prayer life wasn't really praying. It was just complaining. Nobody raise your hand or say amen right here. This is just my confession to me and you and everybody watching online, so it's real private. I noticed one day as I was pacing in my office and praying, and I was saying, now God, this person did that, and this is going on, and this and that, and, and I just listed it, and I stopped and I began to consider, this is all I've been saying for weeks, for weeks. I hadn't had relationship with God, I'd just been complaining. And I stopped and I said, wait a minute, this isn't right. It's, it's well and good to make our petitions known. And we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But every once in a while, you got to stop and put on your garment of praise and say, you know what, God's in control. And God's on the throne. And I purposed in my heart that day, I'm going to praise. And it started off a little weak, Pastor. And even, I dare say, a little uncomfortable maybe even begrudging, forced. I didn't really want to do it. I really wanted to stay right where I was talking about my problems. 
But I force myself to raise my hand and say, I love you, Jesus. I worship you. Lord, you're great. And Lord, you're mighty. And it didn't break in 30 seconds. It didn't break in a minute. But I began to pace my office. I began to worship, lifting my hands and magnifying. And it wasn't long before I felt the presence of God in a way I had not in weeks. As God stepped into that office and said, I can make a trade. I've been holding this garment for weeks that you wouldn't take. Now, friend, I've come tonight to just remind you, not to give, give you some deep theological truth, but just to remind you, God's in control tonight for whatever you're facing. And He's standing in this house right now holding a garment. There's a garment of gladness. There's a garment of praise. There's joy in place of that mourning. There's beauty in place of those ashes you've heaped upon your mind and upon your head. And if you'll just make that divine exchange tonight, you'll walk out of here with joy in your heart. So across this sanctuary on this Friday night, would you just close your eyes and maybe you want to lift your hand to the Lord tonight. Would you just begin to worship? The Lord knows, and there's times and seasons where it's right to make our petitions known before the Lord. But tonight, would you, would you just praise? Would you just begin to thank the Lord for what He's doing and has done? Would you just begin to worship His mighty name? Hallelujah. Let a great sound of praise come up from the church tonight. God, we trust you in this hour. God, we will give you glory right now.